Hi, and welcome to episode 11 of OTTB on Tap. I'm Neve. And I'm Emily. Hey, Neve, what's on tap today? Today, we're going to be talking about my very first off the track thoroughbred and all of the things I did wrong and a few things I did right. (laughs) But before we get to that, I just wanted to jump in and give After the Races a little shout out here. Since our podcast episode last week, they have raised at least another $100,000 for their Save the Farm campaign and climbing. So we're really wishing good things for those guys. And and in other exciting numbers news, we are close to 2,000 downloads as of our last episode. So we're really excited that that many people are following along and enjoying our stories. And yeah, we just want to keep those numbers going. So yeah. And thanks to all our listeners. This has been a very exciting endeavor. So anyway, you mentioned that this episode is going to be your first OTTB talking about ham and all the things you did wrong. I like to think about these things as learning experiences. So let's dive in. And can you share a little bit about your background, Neve? Yeah. So I think I mentioned in our intro episode that I was born in Ireland and grew up in a bunch of different places, but I did a little bit of riding in every place that I lived. So in the Bahamas, I started riding with a British uh, riding instructor. And when I lived in England, I rode quite consistently there. And then I got really more seriously into riding when I was living in Florida, but I didn't have a lot of money. And so I had the catch ride. So I worked for a woman who was a pretty well-known dressage rider, but she did some eventing too. And basically showed up to the barn and mucked as many stalls as it took to earn one lesson. And I got to compete in some shows and do a little bit of eventing with her, but it was always on some half barrel project or sales horse. I can relate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I got to ride a ton and I was just desperate to get on anything that that was in front of me. So then I took a huge break from riding. I actually had a big falling out with that particular trainer. Actually, now when I think back about why we had that falling out, it was over an off-the-track thoroughbred who was showing a lot of pain in his back. Hmm. And we got into a big argument in front of a client and I handed her the reins and never looked back. Yeah, I've always been a pretty stubborn person. A little Um, bit at times. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I felt like she wasn't putting the horse first and that yeah. I think even as a 16, 17 year old kid, I was like, this doesn't make me feel good. So that takes a and lot then, of courage, especially kind of at that age with an authority figure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Then I took a long time off. I didn't ride in college and I moved up to Philadelphia at the end of 2003. And I had a friend who was in medical school at the time. And she was getting volunteer hours at a place called Pegasus, which is a therapeutic riding center just outside of Philadelphia near Pennypack Park and asked me if I wanted to come out and just do a little bit of volunteering just so I could be around horses because she knew how horse crazy I was. I went out there and initially I just started grooming the horses a little bit and doing some sidewalking with the riders because at a therapeutic riding place, they have somebody who leads the horse and then two go with the the rider for safety and so that they can communicate with the rider and make sure that they're not having any trouble. And then eventually that turned into, would you like to exercise ride some of the horses? And of course I was desperate to ride. So we would take these horses out into Pennypack Park where there's dirt bikers and people hiking and all sorts of stuff going on. And we just let the horses blow off some steam because the farm itself was only like seven acres. And so the horses didn't have much turnout, but they had really serious jobs and, it was great fun. The next thing you know, I was starting to look for a trainer. I was thinking maybe I should start <laughs> taking lessons again. And I found a trainer in South Jersey that was pretty close to Philadelphia and I uh, started lessening with her and getting my sea legs back a little bit. And then she had a really cool homebred who had been started several times, but she was. And <laughs> so she asked if I wanted to take her on as a project. Of course, I jumped at the chance and worked with her and learned a lot from her. And it wasn't too far into that experience that we must have met. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we met right around that time when you were leasing that mare. Yeah, so she ended up 
not being rideable due to a bunch of issues. She ended up being quite dangerous, never with me, but with other riders. And so I was then horseless again. And I met a friend in Philly and she had a friend that wanted to lease out her, I think he was 10 years old at the time, off the track thoroughbred just outside the city. And so I started leasing him. He was pretty cool. He was a war horse. And oh, wow. yeah. And then I think I just started to really think about how I was going to acquire my first horse. I mean, I should say at this point, this was all such a pipe dream. I was literally taking the bus from Center City to the farm, <laughs> riding, and then taking the bus home. I just really wanted, I wanted all that to happen for me, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think something that we can talk about as we go through this episode is where we both were living and then where we ended up actually keeping our horses and commute that we endured on a daily basis, individually and together at times. Really, like, if you live in a major city, like, it can be done, but you really do have to travel kind of outside of the suburbs directly around it if you're going to find anything worthwhile in terms of turnout areas to ride things like that so it's definitely a challenge and so we connected right and for those of you that haven't heard our intro episode it is a bit of a funny story and worth a listen so go back to episode one you can find out how we met how neve loves wearing horsey attire and then gets embarrassed (laughs) about it but anyway as you said we were both living in philly i at this time had taken a a long break, gone to school, started a, a career, and I was also still bartending at the time. And I'd gotten back into horses. I'd bought two off-track thoroughbreds because they're like potato chips. And I had them to bring along, and one of which I thought I was going to keep, and the other one was a sales project that I co-owned with a friend. So that's sort of where our kind of story started there. Neve, do you want to talk a little bit about coming out to see those first two horses of mine, Jack and Charlie? Yeah. So I used to keep a blog when I had my first horse. And uh, I think blogs were like the original podcast in some ways. Yeah. But so I was reading back through it a little bit today and a lot of really cool memories popped up. But to say that I was a fangirl of Emily's was a total (laughs) understatement. So ridiculous. But anyways. I I thought I'd read your blog, but I don't know. Those parts blocked (laughs) out or you you prevented me from seeing (laughs) it. Right, right. I put privacy settings on them. (laughs) But one day I was like going on about how much I really wanted to ride and I didn't have any really opportunities. And then that same day, Emily had emailed me and said, why don't you come out and meet Jack and Charlie? And of course, I was so excited to go do that. And... Is that the time you rode Charlie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the first time was when you were in the place that was like north of Philadelphia and I rode Charlie mm-hmm. who tried to fuck me off. <laughs> right. Like and, literally uh, this horse had never put a foot wrong. He was like the quietest, most saintly four-year-old <laughs> off-track thoroughbred, like literally. And I went to go put my horse, my other horse away. And we were going to go over to the cross country field across the street. And I come back and Neve's off of Charlie standing on the ground. <laughs> And I'm like looking at her. I'm like, what's going on? She was like, he was bucking. I'm like, there's no way this horse was bucking. He's never, but he never bucked before or since. Like one of those stories. Like they've never done that before. But you know, yeah. I guess he didn't want his friend leaving. We had never done that before either. I think that was maybe what the situation was because it was right (laughs) after that. Yeah. So I came out to meet them, rode them, and we had a good time. And then it wasn't that long after that, that you got a job working for an off-the-track reseller. And I think I came out mm. and rode Jack down at yeah. her farm. And you let me jump him around a little bit. And he was really, really cool. And all it did was just make me want a horse of my own that much more. So, Yeah, I feel like you rode some of the sale horses that were there. But anyway, we kind of continued this like trajectory of like, hey, come ride my horses. <laughs> And obviously, we always had a really good time together as well. And I think around this time, I branched out my own, rented a barn in Cochranville. And actually, for those of you who have been listening along, our episode number nine with Emily Dino Salvaggio, she was actually part of that barn that we rented together. And that is where Neve meets her first horse. In your recollection, 
how did you come to sit on the horse that ended up being your first off-track thoroughbred? I think once you had settled into that farm, you told me that you had this nice horse. Did I want to come out and ride him? In fact, when I read through the blog, I didn't even blog about riding him the first time. It wasn't until I rode him the second and third times that I like referred back and said, oh, and I got to ride him last week. But I came out and rode him and he was just this. I can't wait to share the before and after pictures of this horse because he is just such a such a testimony to knowing what a horse looks like in its raw parts and understanding that it's going to turn out to be something pretty special. But I would say he's he was definitely an ugly duckling at that stage. Mm -hmm. He was chestnut. He had a big blaze. He was cute as a button. Very sweet. And I have to give Emily a lot of credit because. I have had a lot of experience riding off-track thoroughbreds, and I think for whatever reason, I've been lucky enough to have trainers that saw something in me that they knew would be good for off-track thoroughbreds. And I think Mm -hmm. that is a certain type of skill set or softness or feel. I'm I'm not really sure what exactly, but something that connects with them. And so I give you a lot of credit for just being like, come ride my off-track thoroughbreds (laughs) and trusting that I wasn't going to do anything detrimental to them. Well. But yeah, I, I give you a lot of credit because then I called you up and I was like, I think I had to go to like my nephew's like christening or something like that at a family event. But I really wanted him to get out to a paper chase. And I think <laughs> this was probably going to be his third or fourth post track ride. And I don't know if I emailed or texted or what. And I asked you if you would take one on a paper chase. And, and I was just did. like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So Emily wasn't going to be there. I was going to go with her friend who was a new friend to me at the at the time, the other Emily. And I was like a kid on Christmas. I was like, I can't wait. <laughs> so excited. And he was just put perfect the whole time. And we jumped little things, went through water, saw cows, put an asterisk next to cows. And <laughs> it was just a great experience and gave me a lot of confidence. And then the following weekend, there was another paper chase and we yeah. all got to go together this time. So that was really cool. And I think that's cemented. I feel like we just like told you, like, you need to own this horse. Like you guys are perfect together. You really like, he's chill. You know, like, I feel like you get at the time you got a little nervous sometimes. And he was just such a steady Eddie. Like he wasn't going to do anything wrong. Yeah. That we thought at the time. It's funny. I was looking through what I said that I wanted in that blog. And I mean, he fit all that to a T. I wanted something that was fairly compact, that had a good brain. You know, thinking back on it, I feel like my wants and needs for a horse today are quite similar. Mm -hmm. I'm of the thinking that you can score really well in dressage if you have an average mover, as long as Mm -hmm. you're really accurate and you can make them work over their back properly and all of those things. It's really nice to be on a flashy horse and all that, but I feel like for me, I'm really not good enough to ride a big flashy mover. (laughs) And (laughs) And as I get older, I feel like my body wants something that's a little bit easier to ride as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, he he was basically everything that I wanted and he was right there in front of me. So Emily enabled me to make my first purchase. I did a pre-purchase on him and he was great for that. It was pretty basic, but literally as I drove away from the pre-purchase, my car broke down. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember calling Emily and she was like, welcome to horse ownership. (laughs) Right. I think you had just signed the paperwork with me, like made it official that you owned him. You drove away and you were (laughs) half a mile down the road and your car just like stopped, just stopped working. (laughs) I, I forgot to mention this, but the first time I rode him, we went for a little hack around the neighborhood and you hadn't oh, right. been at that farm for very long. And it was in Amish country and there was a horse and buggy coming down the road. There was traffic and he was just perfect. I, I mean, just everything about him. He, he did everything right. And in fact, before. you gave me a lead on my more experienced horse to get past the buggy and the trucks and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And this horse had had a couple of rides when he just was <laughs> always that like steady Eddie. He was always bebopping along. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then he was also really nicely bred. He was by Golden Missile, who's by APND, which adds to the trainability aspect of the horse, tend to be pretty nice horses. And then the bottom line was he was 
out of an arch mare. I think a lot of people uh, seek those horses for sport horse careers. So yeah, breeding didn't hurt for sure. So those are, that's a lot of like good qualities about him. You know, he really matched what was your criteria. You like this pedigree, you like this temperament. He seemed like he was a good enough mover at that point. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you now know that maybe you should have paid closer attention to when purchasing a horse for yourself? Well, the biggest one was his feet. And Mm -hmm. I can talk about thoroughbred feet in a very positive way. He was unfortunately just an example of basically all of the stereotypes about thoroughbred feet kind of (laughs) rolled into one. You know, he didn't have great hoof balls. He had very flat feet. He had very thin soles. He -hmm. had underrun heels, long toes. He was not stoic at all. (laughs) So (laughs) reading back through the first six to nine months that I had him, I probably rode him a couple of times, honestly, because he was just either crippled from his feet or losing shoes. And initially... And this was a big one. I didn't know it at the time, but the farrier that we had been using, I don't think had a ton of experience with off the track thoroughbreds at the time. And yeah. that definitely hindered the process more, more than helped it until I got a farrier that was really willing to take the whole picture and, and sit down with me and go through a long-term plan with him, which is what we ended up doing. I did end up eventually bringing him in and getting x-rays of his feet because the farrier wanted to understand what was going on structurally and that gave him a starting point for, okay, now we can really come up with a plan when we're going to get him sound for you and comfortable. You know, the crazy thing is while I didn't have him that long, I must've had him in that, if you want to call it grace period or something with his feet where these issues had not presented themselves yet. <laughs> his feet had yeah, been fine. I mean, they were, they were the wrong shape, right? They were typical yeah. long toe, low heel. We knew that his ankles needed to be changed. Um, but I feel like it was another like, welcome to horse ownership experience for you where it was like <laughs> I, I bought this horse and now I can't even ride it and then when you do yeah. get to ride it it pulls a shoe right and then usually doesn't pull it all the way off and usually like <laughs> you know there's no tools we certainly beefed up our toolkit <laughs> oh yeah yeah for sure and cool, the other cool thing that I sort of ignored or didn't really put a lot of stock into at the time was that he was unraced and mm-hmm. I think as a general rule for myself now, I would only buy a horse that has a a record of some kind, of thoroughbred, I mean. And why would that be? There's a certain amount of education and experience that getting your gate card, just getting to be able to race at the track, a horse is already coming with a a lot of stuff installed. Mm -hmm. And along with those things that come installed is a work ethic. (laughs) <laughs> and in my experience, off the track thoroughbreds tend to enjoy work. They intend, like they enjoy getting out and getting to do something or learn something new. And while Riley was really easy and straightforward for me, I think he lacked in the work ethic department. And I yeah. really think that the parallel I feel like it became more apparent when you wanted to do more with, you know, like yeah. he was happy to bebop along on the trails and paper chases and but when the work kind of wasn't his idea to do it yeah he was like "Mm, i don't really want to do that you know and yeah funny story when i picked him up at the track i asked the trainer what he was like to ride or you know train etc and he told me he was lazy like his (laughs) son-in-law and i'll never forget (laughs) that and you know like there's two sides of that coin you know the one side is He's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere fast. So for someone that wants a horse that's more of a push ride, um, that can be a great thing. But he, at times, that stubbornness really, I think, became difficult for you. Yeah, it definitely worked against me when I was trying to get him through some of that work ethic. So talk a little bit about his transformation. I'm hoping that we can find some photos before and after photos to post along with this so that listeners can see how he blossomed. Yeah, he's such a good example of that. He, in the first photos and video that I have of him, he's just got this little pencil neck. 
He's got nothing over his hind end, really no top line to speak of. And I think in some ways, him having all of those issues with his feet in the first six to nine months forced me to slow everything down as excited Mm -hmm. as I was to finally have my first horse. I had to learn how to enjoy my horse in a completely new and different way. And I loved it. Yeah, there were times when I complained about not being able to ride or getting disappointed because he's pulled another shoe. But I think that all of the time I spent learning how to work with him on the ground, lunging, all that stuff taught me how to be a much more, I don't know what the right word is here, a much more holistic and well-rounded. Yeah, I was able to appreciate him in a different kind of way. And I think I've always been someone who really enjoys learning and that whole process, at least the first year for sure, was about me just doing as much research on my own, working with my farrier. And I think that there's so much value to that in the long run. I know you developed a really strong relationship with the farrier we were using at the time. And I think it was a challenge for him to figure out not only Riley's feet, but all of the off-track thoroughbred feet that we threw at him. But but he really persevered and also wanted to learn and, and really wanted to make a difference. And that is such a difference to have a really good farrier like that, that really wants to find the answer. Yeah. I mean, cause there were times where he'd sit down with me and he'd be like, listen, I can put glue ons on this horse so you can ride him. But that would be the only reason I'd be doing this for you would be right. so that you can ride him. He's like, or, you know, we pull his shoes and we let his feet grow out and we give him supportive care in the, in the meantime. And that's eventually the thing that we had the most success with over time. So it was a, a we learned a lot of, about foods. <laughs> a lot about hoof foods, which they are awesome. <laughs> and then so about his transformation though, all of that slow work that I did with him developed a really nice top line over him, even without me being in the saddle. I mean, there are ways mm-hmm. that you can really influence them and their shape and their top line without riding them. And once he had that top line. Even with time off, he never lost it. He always looked really good. Like in the middle of winter, I'd give him about a month off or so. And he always looked really incredible. But when he filled into his body, boy, did he look like a sport horse. Yes. I mean, I have some images of him in my mind where, you know, he just, his coat was glowing. Everything looked great. He became quite an easy keeper. Where in the beginning, he was very skinny. But yeah, and just like that beautiful neck, beautiful hindquarter. He was a very well-proportioned horse, too. Yeah. I think played a lot to his advantage. What about some other challenges that were going on in your life? You were working in Philly still. We were out in Cochranville. For those that don't know, that's like a minimum of an hour and 15 minutes drive each way. Yeah, I mean, I was working nine to five in Philly, so often I would get up at 30. Wow drive out there, ride, watch the sunrise come up, race back to my place, get a shower and get to my place in in downtown uh, Philly uh, for work. So that was really challenging. And luckily he was so easy that I could do that. I could get to the barn at five o'clock in the morning and I could ride by myself without any worry that I was going to put myself in danger or anything like that. One of the things that I learned to do properly (laughs) when he was having all this time off from riding was learning how to lunge improperly, learning how to lunge in side reins and using a Pessoa system, uh, which I know can be a little polarizing for people, but for him, it was pretty game changing and introduced a lot of straightness into his body. It was probably Mm -hmm. at this time that I realized he had a pretty strong, stubborn streak. I know that Emily definitely has some pictures of me having a knockdown drag out battle of wills in the ring with me at the end of the lunge line. But I worked through them and learned how to get him to respond to me better, to respect me. And doing all that stuff from the ground up really did help under saddle. Inevitably, there were some stubborn streaks I couldn't really fix myself. So another thing that I realized pretty soon on when I was riding him more consistently, and this is something I could have never prepared myself for, but I am extremely weak on my right side. I'm not really sure why exactly, but it could be a combination of things. And he was incredibly difficult to the right. 
and he knew how to use his body against my weak side. Right. And, you know, that's something that, how do you predict that's going to happen if you never get to really ride the horse more than once? Or how do you predict that the horse is going to sort of work against that, um, the weakness of yours? I think that as riders, we can all identify some sort of physical weakness that we have and what we'd prefer in our horses. We'd all love them to be perfectly neutral and straight and <laughs> even in both directions, but we all know that right. that's not true. Maybe one of them hangs on your left brain or whatever the case might be. And it did end up becoming a pretty consistent problem for me. What specific difficulties? Like, did you have problems with that lead or just bending or? Oh yeah. I mean, the right lead was probably a 50, 50, mm-hmm. maybe, le- maybe less than that for me. And it wasn't because he wasn't balanced and it wasn't because he couldn't do it or there was any sort of like asymmetry that was working against him. It was my weakness affecting his performance. Yeah. And inevitably, I think that that with his not so great work ethic made it very challenging for me. And I I hope this doesn't sound like I'm blaming him or anything like that. It was just stuff that I, I figured out really about myself and what I needed out of the horse underneath of me. Yeah, because it's hard when I look back and I see, I see videos and photos of me, of me riding him, and he was such a fun horse to ride. But yeah, I remember the time that I feel like we finally just kind of dissected it, and I like really looked at how you were sitting, like from behind, and you were mm-hmm. definitely kind of like collapsed on that right hip, and your right leg is like would at the time seem shorter than your mm-hmm. left leg. Yeah, I used to ride with my stirrups at two different lengths because it was the only way that they felt even. But really, I was compensating for the fact that my whole right side was collapsed and ultimately it made me ineffective as a rider. Yeah. Have you been able to address this with other horses or is this better now or is it something? Oh, it's much better now. And it's kind of funny, actually, because my current horse his bad side is his left side. And I was like, I've been preparing for this my entire life. <laughs> so, right. Like, um, yeah, it it's, be, it's so much easier for, to deal it with. It should be yeah. like in the ad of the horse, like he's left-handed or he's right-handed. Well, how or, do you, you know? like, right. How do you ask that? I mean, and I knew when I was horse shopping last year that I was, that I had to find a horse that was not tough to ride to the right. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I don't. I didn't tell anybody that, but in my mind, I was thinking that because I would have sounded like a nutcase if I said that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think at this point in our journey, we were at a farm, also in Cochranville, but a different. And this was a very large farm. It had been a breeding farm at one point, and I mean, the place is just spectacular. It's incredible, and, and there's so much pasture space, and we were so excited about it. One of the challenges was that we would rotate the fields that the horses were in, and the farm owners also had cows. And tell us a little bit about some of your adventures there. I know at times the horses were a mile from the barn. That's how large. Oh yeah, yeah. We didn't have a ring for I don't know six months, maybe longer, and so. Our horses were on the other side of the property. I would drive around the property. It was like 1.2 miles, I think. And <laughs> I actually think I like, yeah, no, honestly. And I would drive my tack around. I'd catch him at his field and tie him to the fence, tack him up, and then ride him back to the barn to ride in like this little hilly patch of grass. It, eventually it became a ring, which was really nice, but we still kind of had to do that, which was challenging and then ultimately we'd have to go past the cows which (laughs) he lived next door to and adjacent to his entire time there but every once in a while he this is where I started to learn that he had a little bit of a maneuver in him which was a duck drop his shoulder and spin 180 degrees and he could do it lightning fast (laughs) and to the point where one time I was walking up by the cows and I was taking a photo, of course, and he spun out from underneath of me so fast. I landed on my feet with the reins in my hands, like a cartoon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was keeping me on my toes. But yeah, that farm was a challenge. And I don't know. Again, I think that 
hard grained, I just want to ride no matter what really has pushed me through some of the times that, you know, you look around and everyone's got their manicured rings and their indoors and this and that. And then, boy, we just really wanted it so much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember even going to a paper chase and one of us ponied. We didn't have a trailer either at the time. So we, we actually rode to the paper chase. But one of us, I think I ponied Riley off of the horse I was riding. Yeah. And you drove your car over with some chairs, a little cooler set up for us. And then actually, I think we were going to talk about this a little later, but might be a good time as we're talking about challenges. On that paper chase, you had a rather unique experience with this very oftentimes kind of like stubborn, I don't want to go type of course, right? Emily and I have a lot of jokes about this, and this is still true to this day. My idea of I'm going really fast is not very fast. (laughs) And on this particular day, everything was going well. We got to an area where it was in Runnymede Sanctuary, which is a beautiful piece of land in Chester County. It just goes for hundreds and hundreds of acres. And we decided to have a little bit of a hand gallop. And Emily and I are side by side. Everything's kind of going all right. I kind of move out in front. And then I don't know what happened, but I felt him grab the bit and take off. And it really caught me off guard. And I remember thinking to myself, I think I'm, I might be getting taken off with right now. And Emily just sees me just go into like a different gear ahead of her. And she's like, oh shit, she's getting taken off with right now. I was like, what's going on? This is so out of character. I don't even know what's going on. And I think I was like, are you getting run away with? And I'm just like, yeah. And I'm just like, circle, circle. Luckily, I don't think he had a a lot of stamina because getting run off with in that location would have been really, really bad. He was like, I'll show you lazy and just take off. It was it was right. pretty funny just because he was so not the type. But I mean, it goes to show you that no matter how well you know a horse, they can always oh, kind of just pull some sort of maneuver where you're like, where did that come? And like, in reality, I don't think, like you said, I don't think he was going all that fast, but I'm sure it felt fast, especially when nothing happens when you pull back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that kind of like leads me to another point. I have a very quiet seat, like not a hot seat. Mm -hmm. And this is actually something that I would find to be kind of interesting about thoroughbreds because I think that maybe that's why I really enjoy riding them and why I get along well with them is that my seat does not transmit my nervous energy, which I have a lot of. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that when you're buying a horse that you don't know very well or you don't get a chance to ride, maybe you can't really predict exactly how you're going to like soften a horse or light a horse up. Like I know a couple of people yeah. that have very hot seats and they can get on the quietest, most dead horse ever. And then that horse is just like a stick of dynamite. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. And especially when we were having clients come out, try horses, you never really know until they get on what's going to happen. Yeah. And I think now being able to self-identify your weaknesses, maybe some of your asymmetries, maybe what kind of seat you have, what kind of hand you have, and what your go-tos are when you get nervous, things like that, I think all really play into the type of thoroughbred that you should look for and the types of questions you should ask resellers or people selling horses, because providing that information really helps them pair you with the right horse. He was, at that time, a very good first horse for me. I don't have any regrets of owning him as my first horse, but you learn a lot from that experience as well, you know? Yeah, for sure. So it's not all bad. You did have some really good accomplishments with him in terms of you got to go do some shows and were there any yeah. favorite memories of some events you got to take him to? I mean, we always scored really, <laughs> really well if I didn't fall off. So, as long as I could stay on for all three phases, we were going to get first or second. I mean, he was just one of those horses that he just put put a really nice picture together and was pretty genuine, but in terms of taking care of me. But like you said, as the work got harder, as things got a little bit more challenging is when that spin drop shoulder bolt maneuver started to really play in. And I never fell off of him at a show from him doing that, but I did fall off him at a show and get back on and finish. But 
<laughs> it was just disheartening to have worked really, really hard and have gone through all of the the trials and tribulations with him only to go to a show and have him just not put his half of the effort in. And that's mm-hmm. really all I ever want is, is for a horse to like meet me halfway. I feel like if, if we're prepared and we've done the work together, then there's no reason we can't go in there and, and try our best. And I know that was probably hard for you to watch as somebody who was coaching me. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like I would be like, jump, jumps, go into the woods. I'm sure the videos <laughs> have, have some colorful language in the background, but I yeah. love the determination that you showed. You mentioned you fell off and got back on and, and continued. And we were at a starter trial. I think it was, um, St. Augustine maybe. Mm-hmm. And you fell off in show jumping. So it was dressage and show jumping and then cross country, the last phase. And I thought, oh, here we go. We're done for the day. All right. Brace yourself. And this magical woman, I think she was like one of the jump judges. She ran out into the ring and just boosted you back on. She gave me and a leg up. Nobody can give me a leg up. <laughs> <laughs> she's probably not even real. It was probably like a spirit or a fairy. I, or I literally refer to her as this guardian angel. And she was like, you're doing a great job. Do you want to get back on? Let me give you a leg up. And I was like, oh, my God, where did you come from? Right. I don't even know. It was crazy. And she boosted you back up. You got on, you finished that course. And then you went out and rode a great cross country round and jumped all the jumps in the right order. And I was very proud of you. Of course, I think you were probably eliminated for falling off, but the fact that you showed that determination was, was really, really great to see. And the fact that like you could get him to jump around. And I think the cross country course had, something tricky on it that you had problems with the previous year and you got yep. through those problems. So it was really cool. Really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's a good point too, is I was able to get him around and all that. I think in the end, when it's your personal horse, you want it to feel a little bit more like you have got a more willing partner. I never took it personally when it was a sales horse or, you know, right. a horse that we had in the barn, but for some reason it, it always just stings a little bit more when you feel like your partner isn't showing up for you. Yeah. And I feel like that was, that was a hard realization was for me to understand that it shouldn't feel this hard. When I quit my job and I started working for you, there were just times where I think we were both just pulling our hair out and it wasn't for a lack of me trying and being dedicated. I mean, I quit my job to go be a working student when I was in my mid thirties. You know what I mean? It was, I was dedicated, but he he was not going to lie for you. If you did not ride every single stride, he was going to tell yeah. on you. I think you were learning, too, at the time, for an example, from a coach's perspective. And I rode him quite a bit as well. And I really enjoyed riding him. Um, not that he was always perfect for me, either. <laughs> I think I still, have a, I still have a scar on my arm from maybe being finding out about that spin maneuver. And how it would just come out of anywhere. It just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. I do think that he picked up on little things that other horses wouldn't. Like, for instance, if you got tired or discouraged, you would let him come to a stop. And he was like, oh, awesome. He learned that I would back off, you know, at any sign of like not danger or anything like that, but just that even just the way that I would do my downward transitions. I've learned yep. so, so much about that experience of if you, if you don't commit to a downward transition as being a forward transition, your horse right. will inevitably learn how to just collapse and putter out into its downward transitions. And that is hardwired into my brain now because of you. <laughs> well, and because of him, I think, you know, I, yeah. So well, yeah, because you learned, learned a those lot mistakes. Yeah. yeah. But he, yeah. he like really would, would stick that to you and be like, mm, nah, we're, we'll stop. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I got to get him going. I, I mean, he was, for me, I would spend probably 90% of the time that I rode him trying to get him in front of my leg. And that yeah. <laughs> was ridiculous. And what's funny about him is like what you're like five, six or five, seven. He was yeah. what, 16 hands? You would think that your leg would hang down further on him, but he was so big barrels. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's actually funny. If you look at the pictures from when I first tried him and then pictures from like just before I sold him, I yeah. look so, so much smaller. In yeah. The, no, you look, look you know. tiny on him. 
And then <laughs> another another funny thing that happened was I think you were actually trying new saddles. And I wanted you to gallop to see how the saddle worked for you in your position. And we have a video that hopefully I'll get to share here. We have a video where I'm like, okay, we're going to go down the long side. Let's really gallop. Let's go. Let's gallop. And I'm like, come on, Riley, let's go. And I mean, I don't lengthen this stride like an inch or two, maybe. I don't know. And then, you know, you, you, you get to the corner. I'm like, okay, now we're going to do it. Let's go. <laughs> We're really going to go this time. Yeah. And I think he did even less. And I'm just like, okay. I think at the end of the video, I'm like, okay, okay, whatever. (laughs) You're like, this is just a lost cause. (laughs) Oh my God. But anyway, I mean, you did learn a lot from him. I think we both did. And overall, you know, like you said, we're not blaming the horse. He's a lovely horse. He ended up being a very, very nice mover. Um, Oh, yeah. And like you said, scored so well in dressage. And, and he did like the jump. It was just, you know, need a little extra encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the other thing that I learned from that experience was that I, I kind of wanted to do everything myself because he was my first horse. And obviously I, I had help and everything like that. I was incredibly lucky to have two people managing a barn that were there for all the handholding and answer all my stupid questions and teach me as much as they could. I wish I had invested money into getting him professionally trained a little bit more because I think that that might've helped with some of the problems I was having, maybe some of the symmetry issues I was having and maybe some of the work ethic issues. I played a huge factor in that as well. And it wasn't that I thought I knew everything. I just, I just wanted to do it all myself in a way. And looking back now, I, I wish I had handed over the reins literally to somebody else and said, I need help. Right. You know, I think in the beginning you did everything with him. Then occasionally I would ride him. But then when you started working for me, then you were getting regular lessons and I would ride him also. But at that point, I think your pattern with him was pretty well established. So it might have been better. Like, and I think it was tough too because you had such a rough start. If you're, yeah, not even sure your horse is going to be consistently sound, how are you going to send him for a month of training? Like, that's impossible to do. You're not going to do that. Um, Exactly. That's a really good point. And you know, I think a lot of people that are new to off-track thoroughbreds are really attracted to the price. Maybe they should keep in mind to budget that extra couple grand to get a month or two of training along with it. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, it does, pay, does make a for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true as well, because then you get more information about the horse. You know a little bit more about what it's like as a riding horse. And yeah. Yeah. Definitely some things when you look back, you know, hindsight's 50 50. And, or is it 50 50, 20 20? Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, raffle is fifty fifty. I don't know. Right. I don't know. <laughs> so something that I, I think we've touched on in past episodes, and I think it's a big topic that deserves attention. It's deciding that maybe this horse isn't the right horse for you. On saying, you know what, I think this horse will be a better fit for somebody else. Maybe there's a different horse out there for me. What's your thought process around that? And where did you go with that with with Riley? I think kind of getting down to having more bad rides than good ones, feeling really frustrated in my personal growth. I mean, here I had a horse that had, I think at that point he was about to do his first beginner novice, but I felt like our progress wasn't moving in a forward trajectory together. Yeah. And I felt like he was at the limits of my physical capabilities in terms of we weren't going to figure this out together. And that's a hard place to get to, but I don't know. I don't have a very big ego when it comes to how good I am as a rider. That's not something that like I carry forward with me. And I think that in general, I think that a lot of riders undervalue for me, it was deal with 
feeling like I'm giving up, you know, like I'm such a Mm -hmm. determined person. And for me, everything like this in my life is a puzzle to solve, a challenge, you know, and I want to overcome it because I take that really seriously. In the end, I knew that I had created a horse that had an incredible amount of value. He was sound, happy. He was all of his good qualities. He was an easy keeper, a nice mover. And he was very well-rounded by and large because of all of the things that I had done with him, the amount of times that we had moved and things like that. And I think that I just knew that this, this was the time for me to break away from him and mm-hmm. find him a home where he was going to be utilized for the things that he was good at. Mm-hmm. And, and also that maybe he was going to find a rider that wouldn't come into it with all of the physical and sort of mental shortcomings that I had. So it's always interesting when you have a horse that you're frustrated with and then you let somebody new ride them and they don't have any problems with that. And you, and you right. go, oh, okay, it's me. <laughs> I'm a big contributor to these issues. <laughs> so that's sort of where we, where we got to, I think. And I remember distinctly looking at you and saying, I think I want to sell him. And you said something along the lines of, I'm happy to hear you say that. I was hoping you'd find your way to this decision. You knew that you weren't going to be able to say to me, you need to sell him. It was going to be something that I had to resolve in my mind and come up with and feel like I had done everything I could to make the relationship work. But it's not unlike being in a relationship with a human or friendship. You want to feel like everybody's contributing and working towards a common goal. And it's perfectly fine to realize and recognize that that equine partner is maybe not the best match for you, even if it's several years into the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you did a lot of things right in that he was very well schooled. He was a really nice horse. It just the traits that you both had in certain areas did not mesh. And so when things would start to go wrong, it became very difficult for you to fix them. Whereas a rider, another rider would have no problems or have a couple schooling yeah. sessions and he'd be like, okay, that's fine. So I remember, I think I came to the conclusion that maybe we should find him another home, another rider. It was not long before you brought it up to me. Yeah. And then <laughs> I was like, oh, good, because I don't know how I was going to broach this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when I looked back on it, I was really kind of endearing reading through some of my old blog posts. But the way that I talk about him is like, what a gift he gave me as my first Mm -hmm. horse you know for all of these like negatives that I'm saying and mistakes that I made and things that I didn't do very well I think he taught me so much in just a couple of years experience that like I didn't do pony club when I was a kid so I mean I an express pass to off the track thoroughbreds (laughs) and just a couple years of horse ownership with him because he put me through the gauntlet really you know yeah you learned how to poultice a hoof that's for sure Oh, what, kind, what, kind, of <laughs> what kind of duct oh, tape? Gorilla tape. Gorilla tape only. <laughs> What's your preferred method? <laughs> my, my preferred method? <laughs> yeah, wrap uh, it up. It, oh, you put animal lintex, sometimes a little slurry of betadine and Epsom salt into the hoof um, huh? from the sole. Animal lintex on top of that. Diaper <laughs> on top of the animal lintex. Vet wrap on top of that. And then gorilla tape. And I don't make that little square that people make. I just do it oh, in strips and I, and I put it on, put enough gorilla tape on there. And I've had the gorilla tape stay on in like the middle of winter. I've had to soak hooves when it's like 18 degrees outside. <laughs> and <laughs> that stuff works awesome. So I'd be like, hey, Neve, go pack all the horses' hooves in the barn. No, it would be like 150 degrees. And, and you know, oh, there's 16 horses in here. Can you get the magic cushion out? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but you know what you learn by doing and uh, you learn how to get really really good at annoying hard stuff and boy do i have a really good i have a foot box like a foot medical kit i've got a big Mm -hmm. medical kit i mean i I have like all the things now so i'm ready (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) to wrap up we did end up selling um riley to the first person that came to try him i think it was i don't think we even advertised them they contacted um, me and i was like i have the perfect horse for you Yeah. And it was somebody that wanted something to compete themselves, but also ran like a small riding school. And he was so amateur friendly, really, that it was a perfect scenario and bedded great. And yeah, off he went. So yeah. Well, if you like what you heard today, 
please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to reach out to us by email at ottbontap at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at ottb underscore on tap. And join our Facebook group, OTTB Market. Also, on top of that, just to throw all the links at you, <laughs> we just <laughs> launched our actual website, which is ottbontap.com. So more to come there. So yeah, see you next time. Thanks all. Bye. <laughs>